0: You're listening to The Wellness Couch with Brett and Katarina Morrison, 87.6 FM, Apollo Bay Radio. Tonight, we're talking about grief and uh, grief is a natural response to loss. It's the emotional suffering that you actually feel when someone or something has been taken away from you. Now, often the feelings can be overwhelming. They're difficult and unexpected emotions from shock or even anger to disbelief, guilt, And profound sadness can all arise, even at once, anytime and actually unexpectedly as I found out today. The pain of grief can also disrupt your physical health, making it really difficult for you to sleep. Um, Sometimes people have trouble eating or even thinking straight. Um, Yeah, the cognitive functions go out the window. These are all normal reactions to loss. And the more significant the loss, the more intense your grief will be. Now, um, Coping with the loss of someone or something you love is one of life's biggest challenges. And tonight we have um, Susie Singh to help us uh, get through some of the um, uh, things we traverse along the grief path. Now, Susie, she's the author of international bestseller, Seven Karma Codes, available worldwide in English, Italian and Serbian. She's a mental health coach, clinical hypnotherapist. Grief counselor, karma teacher, um, an international well speaker and advisor to the board at the NGO uh, We Listen, dedicated to the cause of mental health. She's also the founder of a grief circle, a humanitarian service that offers support and healing to grief-stricken individuals. So, really well qualified to speak tonight. So, uh, let's welcome Susie tonight. To explain. Um basically the coping mechanisms of grief and what they are. Welcome, Susie.
1: Thank you very much, Katrina and Brett. Always a pleasure to be on
0: the show. We're so lucky to have you at your calibre on our show. Thank you so much.
2: So, Susie, yeah, thank, thanks so much for joining us and once again sharing your wisdom with us. I know, I guess we all get sad at some point in our lives, don't we? And we all experience loss. But how do you define grief? Because it's not just a physical sensation, is it? It's much, there's much more, and like like you sort of mentioned before, there's connections to the spiritual as, as well. So how do you go about defining grief?
1: So Brett, when we lose something dear, the absence of that person, pet or thing causes this terrible separation in us. We yearn to somehow reclaim that bond and to restore normalcy so that we can go back to living as we did Comfortable in the old order of things. There is an immense struggle between our parts the manic one that desperately wants to bring the dead back in mm. any possible way, and the other rational part that knows this can never happen. These parts are locked in an inner battle because we have not yet learned to accept the paradox of lost love. And what makes the acceptance really hard is the brutal finality of death. The idea of never meeting that person again, Mm. never touching or holding them, leads to unbearable anguish and helplessness. Knowing that you now have to live without the one that you have loved Mm. so dearly, this grasping on what seems impossible, this is grief. It isn't a singular emotion, but an amalgam of many others, such as frustration, anger, loneliness, hopelessness, curiosity,
0: anguish, and pain. Wow, that's um, actually brought tears to my eyes already. I'm sorry because I'm actually experiencing the grief, and loss of a pet. And, um, yeah, okay, so we'll go to um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, her model, and um, the five stages of grief that an individual may encounter um, th- throughout their experience. Um, Susie, can you explain to us? The stages of um, that, that one, an individual will experience, perhaps maybe consecutively. It doesn't have to be consecutively. And, and obviously, um, there's no timeline or calendar for particular people. They may experience it within weeks or months or within years. Yeah,
1: so Elizabeth Kugler Ross was a hospice care nurse. And obviously, she worked a lot with people who were terminally sick. And she identified five stages of grieving, which includes denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. In simpler terms, denial is the stage when you find it impossible to believe that your loved one has died. You may remain in a state of shock for days and simply go numb to avoid feeling all of those feelings which bereavement Mm. will bring up. You may also feel an intense anger because love has been stolen by fate. This anger may be projected at God, at the attending doctors, relatives, or even yourself mm. for allowing such a terrible event to occur. The stage of bargaining is a period when the mind is constantly obsessing about how death could have been averted. Yeah. You may think of innumerable situations and things that could have been done or should have been done differently in order to change what happened. When the reality of loss begins to sink in, you may feel very helpless, sad, and hopeless. This is the stage of depression. You may want to isolate yourself, not want to eat and drink, not be able to tolerate. Mm -hmm. Seeing people lead normal happy lives, it can feel a bit like living in the dark hells. And when you reach the stage, When you're willing to embrace the emptiness and rearrange your life in ways, that will help you to adapt. You're finally ready to accept the altered reality. Mm. You're learning to live without the other. You're ready to go back to working, socializing, and laughing without the guilt. Appetite and sleep improve, and a new normal begins to emerge with new routines and a new concept of your reformed, self-identity minus that person and like you just mentioned uh, any of these stages can occur um, before or later there's no sequential or linear order to them or they might collapse over one another and mm. happen simultaneously
2: that's a lot going on all at once isn't it yes, simultaneously like, and, wow like, i love the piece that you said that can that and you can also beat yourself and Part of that grieving process, I guess coming out the other side, is being able to not be harsh on yourself. Um, That whole concept of being kind to yourself as you go through this process, knowing that these things are a natural process, Um, there's a lot of questions that just never have answers to them, or it feels like they never have answers to them. and allowing yourself to go through that process and experience the process and not bury, bury the pain and, and the, and the grief. Um, so yeah, it's, it's nice that, that there's so much yeah. that's going on all at once. Like you said, it's not just one thing. It's many, many layers of things that are going on all at the same time.
0: Now, I'm sorry. Um, now Obviously, relationships can change when one experiences grief. Individuals do not know how to, obviously, cope um, with the change in individuals that they, you know, they know behave in a certain aspect and are temporarily not being themselves because of their grief stage. Um, and and I guess a lot of people don't know um, what they should do and um, some people don't know how to count... Um, you know how, who they can count on to help them through their grief either
1: this is so true Katrina, because uh people are terribly awkward in the face of grief that's because we don't talk openly about it nor teach this subject grief healing and resilience training should actually be a mandatory part of school curriculum in our days We had moral science classes and many such difficult life experiences could be openly discussed. We had death right rituals that allowed and encouraged family and friends to participate in the grieving process for a whole year after someone died. And it was accepted as normal in those days. People would honor that one whole year of mourning. But today, all of those community symbols and rituals are fast fading because we are in a rat race to get on with life. This is really what we should be ashamed of and not the grief that we feel. As for your question about who you can count on for your grief, I would say, be authentic to people who offer you safe space and time. Tell them how you feel. Talk about the deceased. Grief needs to be voiced. It also needs to be heard. And it's only through the communion of these two aspects, speaking and listening, can grief be eaten or processed? For those who don't understand your grief, gently tell them if you're still in mourning and are learning to accept the void, do not dishonor your grief or pretend that you're okay. Do not hide it or escape it. Living with integrity really requires that we choose to be authentic, and the best definition of authentic is doing the things you do for yourself, not inauthenticity, which is doing things to please others Mm. or just be seen as normal by others so own your grief with confidence not with shame of course you must decide who you will open your heart to entirely Mm. and who you will just offer a headline a one-minute elevator pitch about your current state Mm. and through all of the work that i've done with grieving people i'm informed that grief needs three types of support first is your own willingness to honor it and work with it without escaping, suppressing or using addictions to avoid it or mask it. The second is engaging with another person such as a close friend, partner or relative who will offer you that safe space where you can vent about your pain or reminisce freely about the deceased. And lastly, you need a village or a community where space is held by community members. This aids the transformation of your grief. It also gives you the opportunity to feel a new sense of connection and it provides you a soft landing to recommence socialising in a shared context where other people are also grieving. And this is exactly the reason why I set up the Grief Circles about two years ago, oh, so that right. people could find yeah. a safe space Beautiful. to express their grief in.
2: Beautiful. Yeah, that's that's amazing, Susie. And like some people may not, some of our audience may not realise that one of the reasons why we love bringing you onto the show is that you work with people all around the world and you get to work with people from all different cultures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you touched on it at the start there talking about how in your culture you grew up and you had that mourning process and it was part of the rituals and rites within within the culture. And do you yeah. find that, you know, and you mentioned that that's starting to, to go. And I know in Western culture, we don't talk about death well. We don't deal with death no. well. It's sort of one of those things that we sort of push to the side, which creates that awkwardness. What are some of the impacts? I was, sorry, I'm throwing a question at you pretty randomly here but what are some of the impacts that you've seen between cultures that accept grief and and loss and death as part of the natural cycle of life and those like western culture that try to ignore it and suppress our emotions What, what are the impacts that go with that that you've seen from the people that you work with
1: I think the, uh, the the one glaring impact I find is the increased evidence of mental health diseases, yeah, well. which is really a suppression of grief, and it comes out in very raw and uh, difficult ways. Mm. When mm. that anger is turned outwards at the world, we have destruction, anger, violence. When it is turned inwards, it results in all kinds of mental mm-hmm. health illnesses. Yeah. Uh, with the common name of depression. Mm. Of course, it can get physical when you have aches and pains and things like fibromyalgia. It's actually Mm -hmm. your grief wanting an outlet.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: And that is one of the reasons why we really, really need to understand how to work with grief because we are slowly disconnecting from ourselves, disconnecting from others, and we are becoming less and less human and more aggressive and violent
2: yeah that's so true that's so true And
0: you know like you said too that uh, coping with the loss of someone or something um, you love is one of life's um, biggest challenges obviously and many may associate grieving with the death of a loved one which is um, which is which is often the cause of the most um, intense type of grief but um, in reality any loss can cause um, grief including you know things like divorce and relationship breakups or loss of health or Losing a job, um, you know, loss of financial stability, even even miscarriages, you know, um, retirement, death of a pet, as as we're going through, and loss of a cherished dream. They're, they're all things that can actually cause um, grieving as well.
2: Mm. Uh, and Susie, you mentioned there about a time of mourning. Do you see a difference between grief and mourning?
1: Ah, uh, yes. So grief is a state. It describes how we feel on the inside after losing someone or something that we've had a relational attachment with. It is an internal state of bereavement that follows the loss. Mourning, on the other hand, is a process. It includes all efforts undertaken in the management of grief. It's an active journey. All the rituals and efforts that one takes from the announcement of loss to its acceptance, and how we adapt to the changed circumstances of life post that loss these are all ways in which we
2: are born yeah it's interesting because you mentioned it as a process and in in i'm sure you've seen it too like there's plenty of books out you know life hack everything but mourning is one of those things you can't really life hack your way no. through is it like you, you've got to honor that process don't you like and just allow it to take its course
1: it is also unique because no two individuals are ever yeah. going to mourn in the same way mm-hmm. or grieve in the same way. So you really have to get in touch with yourself. You have to, as I said, dig the grave of your own emotional symmetries, go inside of yourself and figure out what is it that is happening inside of you, which may be very different from how someone else is coping with it or adapting to their loss.
0: Yeah, I've... Um... So, whatever your loss, it's personal to you. And, and, um, Susie, many feel ashamed how they feel, or that it's only appropriate to grieve for for certain things. Um, I've got a few friends, um, particularly one at the moment, who, um, Donna, who has lost her husband. So,. Got to say, you know, the talks that we've been having, and I know, like, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm not ready to go back to normal. How do I avoid social engagements? There's some of the the feedback that I've been having from um, some of my patients as well, Um, you know, in reaction to their loss. They're not ready to go back to. firstly,
1: yes, there's nothing to be embarrassed if you're not yet ready to go back and socialise because you are engaging with life, one of life's greatest truths, which is that it hurts to lose a loved one. So when friends ask why you're not meeting them, you should simply say very, very authentically, I'm still in mourning and would love to reconnect back once I made peace with this very challenging experience. But thank you for checking in with me. It feels good to know that I have empathetic friends who understand what I'm going through. I feel truly blessed to know that you care and hopefully in some time, I shall feel more ready to meet up like we did before. Yeah. So this is, this is something uh, that you can say to those friends who are pushing you or urging you to come out of your little hole or your grief hole. And personally, it's also useful for you to understand that the journey through grief typically moves through three stages and each stage brings its own symptoms. The first stage is separation. This is characterized by shock, disbelief, what ifs, leave me alone, I just can't go on, and oh my God, will this pain ever end. Mm. There's intense sadness and sorrow, it's hard to focus on anything, you may experience a lot of brain fog, (laughs) accepting death at this time seems almost impossible. (laughs) It's normal to feel numb and detached, you know? Mm. Uh, And you may experience even bitterness over this loss. So there may be feelings of hopelessness accompanied by the inability to connect or enjoy life. There'll be a total disconnection. In the next phase, which is the integration phase, your predominant feelings will be, okay, so uh, how do I get on with my life now? And what is the meaning of life? And who am I really? you're more likely to deal uh, with the guilt and regrets in a constructive way and can now begin to address your anxieties about getting back to work and the issues of daily life. But it's only in the reintegration phase, which is really the mature phase of your grieving, when you can engage back with life without guilt or hopelessness. And that's when you start reconnecting with your friends. At this point, you'll be emotionally and psychologically better prepared to accept the changed reality. And you can start living life normally. So clearly socializing with family and friends becomes possible only towards the latter stage. And uh, most people will say one year is a normal period of grieving. So if we, we divide these sort of three phases roughly into an average of period, even after nine months of someone's passing or you know 11 months of someone's passing, if you haven't got there yet, it's perfectly fine. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. Like I said, everyone's got a different calendar, so we really have to honor that.
2: Um, Especially some of those questions that you're talking about, Susie, in that middle phase when people start questioning who they are. Um, like you said, if they've been with a loved one for a long period of time, then they lose them and they need to create that new identity on their own. That, that some, Like, I know people that haven't experienced loss, that can be a 10 year journey trying to work out who they are. Some people never get there. Um, so, there's some big. Big questions, deep questions, aren't they, that people need to be able to challenge themselves and, and still work through to come out the other side?
1: Absolutely, Brett. In fact, there are times when, you know, you've lost someone 30 years ago and you still haven't grieved through that sufficiently oh, wow. enough. You still have... and You're clinging on to that identity. It doesn't exist. And you've not adapted or individuated from that loss completely. Um it can be terrible. Yeah, that would be.
0: Along the lines, too, I know that um, sometimes there are there are children, obviously, in the family that um, the one who's going through the grieving process doesn't want them to experience that their grieving stage, I guess, uh, or see them cry. What what do you think about that, Susie?
1: So considering that there is no other institution that is ever going to teach your kids to grieve or more, mm. it's best that they learn through it. Yeah. I remember when our guinea pigs died, I lay in bed cuddling both my children and we cried together for hours. Mm. The sadness permeated us for days. And I think it's so important to teach your children that crying is nature's way of healing emotional pain. Tell them it's okay to talk about grief. Demonstrate your vulnerability to them. Let them see that you are doing it. Mm. Nothing is more powerful than teaching by example. And therefore, I encourage every parent to personally initiate the children into grief rituals. You know, when my uh, great-grandma-in-law passed, I remember taking my little daughter to the cremation ground. I explained all the rituals to her, even made her go down to the deceased and asked her to say a goodbye prayer. I gave her permission to ask me questions about death and partake of the community experience because I wanted her to feel at ease with death. Can you imagine how devastated a child is going to be if they're suddenly thrust into a similar experience later in life with absolutely no training?
0: No resilience,
1: yeah. And so as as parents, we must initiate and familiarize our children with the process of grieving just as we talk to them about nutrition, germs, and period Mm -hmm. pains. But of course, to be able to do this, we must first learn to embrace ourselves and be with grief without hesitation.
2: Yeah, I think some of, I think especially in Western culture, I know I'll probably come back to it, but we do tend to hide that. We tend to suppress that, particularly probably more with men as well. You know, like growing up, you know, boys don't cry, men don't cry. You know, that was very big. I know when I was, when I was growing up and to show any of that emotion and to allow that process, as you said, look, it is a process. And if we don't allow that to go, it gets suppressed and ends up with mental health challenges. Um, and you know, it's not surprising that there's a lot more PTSD that is currently sweeping through our culture at the moment.
1: Well, yeah, that's what? true. That's true. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, uh, just so important that you first address the grief yourself, yeah. um, and, and there are several stages in that, for example, like you just mentioned resistance is the first big wall that you must come up again so recognize and release that resistance to grieve i mean just because a man does it not make me human does it mean that i'm made of a different metal does it mean that if you cut me it won't bleed you are human first before you are your gender mm. so embrace that grieffully. sit with it learn to be comfortable with that dis-ease observe mm. it allow it get out of its way and let grief to the job of healing you yeah you would also perhaps need to use grief tools like writing poetry doing artworks creating collages and memories or writing letters to the disease to empty yourself out of the grief you have to get in touch with it and grief projects can be really and truly healing and one of my absolute favorites which i run in my grief circles is a project that i um, developed from the inspiration of kintsugi the japanese art of uh, uh, mending broken pottery yeah, and this beautiful. involves undertaking a pro- you know you just take anything around your home that is broken it could be tattered or a neglected object around your house because that becomes the metaphor or the symbol of how you are feeling at the inside
0: mm, shattered heart. Uh, as you yeah.
1: work upon that object as you repair that object, as you give it your attention, you transfer your grieving consciousness onto it and you make it come alive for you and you work with your grief. So, for men, especially who have this tendency to hide from it, to escape it, this becomes a way of objectifying your grief and then choosing to work with it actively.
2: Yeah, that's a really good idea. It is, I, isn't I, it? Yeah, I have heard of people, particularly guys, like if they they've lost a son or lost a father, they'll, like someone will, will buy an old car and they'll go up the shed and they'll actually restore it as part of that grief process. Or sometimes I've actually started it together as a joint project, especially if they know one's terminal. Um, and then the other one will just make it a project and they just continue on for many years to to get it finished. And, you know, that's all part of that healing process. So it's a, it's a great Fantastic
0: idea. Fantastic idea, objectifying that. Mm, I'm going to look for a pot where I could do that now. <laughs> That's great. That's a brilliant yeah, one. Yeah, that's actually. very
1: useful.
0: Yeah. So, um, look, a lot of people obviously, how can they help themselves through the process? And you're, you're answering a lot of those questions. Um, but, but um, other people are also saying, how can they actually help the one who is grieving? Mm.
1: So, I think there are there are some very simple things that you can do. Is one is ask them if you can get them a cooked dish one evening. So that instead of cooking dinner, they can actually free up some time to grieve on demand. Uh, And this is another one of my pet things. uh, I realized that because most of us are so terrified of grieving, I ask people to set time aside regularly to grieve on demand, just like you feed a baby on demand. And um, you actually look at old videos, you look at photographs, and you allow that grief to arise in yeah, you great. to bubble up in you yeah and so That's if perfect. somebody if somebody's taken over maybe the evening meal for you or they've decided to bring you a casserole for the evening and you don't have to worry about it then you have that free time to grieve actively you could also ask them if they feel like talking about the disease because that is something that uh is really useful yeah reliving yeah. memories of the one that has passed and so if they can give you their time it Attention, they're listening and safe space for maybe an hour on an evening where the two of you can just sit in a comfortable place and uh, they can offer you their listening. That's very useful. And I think while uh, all of these are ways in which the other person enters into your life, it's equally important to respect privacy. So if what you really need is private time to heal and you're not ready to socialize yet, then they can give you their understanding and their patience and they can reassure you that they're willing to wait for as long as it takes for you to feel comfortable to restore that friendship and that that friendship remains unchanged. That reassurance is very powerful because a lot of people feel that when they have intense losses, that old friends, old connections tend to drop away. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that, that can happen, is it? Because sometimes they stay away because they know that you are grieving and mourning. And then becomes like an awkward space, then to reconnect. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So that's so true. Very, very true.
0: So, uh, what are other ways that we can actually help the bereaved apart from you know organising cooking and um, obviously seeing if they need their chores done? Um, bringing over groceries to cook, or you know, eat a meal with them. What else can we actually do?
1: I think, um, in my personal experience, what I've found is it's very important to give space yeah because like i defined in the first two phases of separation and integration most people do not want to connect with others they have so much overwhelm that they need to deal with themselves there is so much that needs to be um allowed in their own being there is so much brain fog even getting out of bed is such a nightmare on most days and you find that uh, you know you're overcome with that wave of grief so frequently that you want to keep people at a distance so um this over enthusiastic desire to help someone can also become actually uh, yeah. a hindrance yeah i think it's it's a safe place to just let them know hey i'm a call away i'm there whenever you need me Uh, I want to respect your safe space, but I also want to be able to help and participate should you require.
2: Yeah, I think that's really, it's a very
1: gentle presence. It's a very gentle presence that Mm. is required. Uh, Empathy, understanding, compassion. I think those are the key issues. It's not, it's not so much about uh, the groceries and the food because quite honestly, people just stop eating literally. And that is fine too. Maybe, maybe going through that stage of not being hungry is all right. Yeah,
0: also. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you don't have the extra energy for those digestive processes, you know, um, to process that food. So, yeah, well, all, all yeah. those um, what we call non-emergency um, automated things in the body don't don't want to continue because you need that energy to to keep yourself.
1: You've gone into the emotional winter it. of your life, and you're yeah. grieving. So everything, everything
2: is sort of slowed down. I love what you say about having that respectful presence. And it's about being present for your friends and those that are grieving, but creating it. I think sometimes A when space, people, yeah. when people hear oh, create space," they're still not present, or they just stay away, and that's and that's different, isn't it, from allowing space? So when you, as you said, you you let them know that you're there for them when they need you you're there to help out in any way possible that that's a very different space to just going uh look i know they're grieving so i'm not going to go anywhere near them because that can actually leave people feeling abandoned and alone which is a very different energy and a very different environment isn't it that's true brett because you know
1: what you're referring to is disconnection
2: yeah absolutely
1: that can feel like um at a very personal level you can start feeling like something bad happened to me and now i've become the untouchable yeah they don't and that's true mm. some people do feel that they don't want to get too close to someone who's going through bad things mm. because they think the bad things will rub off onto them and uh, intuitively you sense that yeah it's coming, that the intentionality is coming from a very different space. It's also coming from the fact that people are so uncomfortable in the face of grief that they want to avoid it at all costs because if they come in touch with someone who is grieving, it is going to bring up all of their repressed grief and they're not yeah. prepared to do that.
0: Yeah, it becomes a trigger. I mean, you'll be surprised. Yeah.
1: I, yeah, I have people in my grief circle who they've had immense losses, but after a few meetings, they'll drop out and they'll actually turn around and say, you know what, this is really intense. This is too intense for me. I want to just go and laugh and, uh, you know, I want to be able to meet with joy and I don't want to work with grief. They don't realize the more they suppress it, the more they don't oppress it. It's going to permeate their life with a continuous sadness Mm -hmm. that um, they will ascribe to other causes. They will not own it they won't find the richness of joy and happiness that they're actually seeking because they're knocked out with the grief. Yeah. And, and I want to come back to a point that uh, I think Brett uh, made in the beginning, which is, uh, I think Katrina, you mentioned it, that grief, we encounter it in so many different ways. And I want to say this, we think that there is, there is a mourning period, but does grief ever end? and my answer is no grief never ends because it's a steady and loyal companion through life contrary to popular belief grief doesn't only arise when someone dies Mm. it permeates our lives in so many other ways we're always grieving something either actively or unconsciously but of course we are not aware of this Mm. so when a death occurs that old subliminal grief that we've repressed it meets the more recent one and forms this overwhelming wave that's going to drag us into the sea of suffering and we don't want to go there. So if you just look at any one of our lives, as a child, we grieve things that we wanted from our parents, but we didn't get like love, attention, acknowledgement, praise amongst others. As teenagers, we grieve our identity crisis, our struggles at school, being bullied by our friends, as young adults, we grieve our heartbreaks. As professionals, we grieve the lack of expected success. As couples, we grieve unfulfilled companionship and love. And of course, you can throw into this all of those unborn children that we may have aborted or lost. Mm. As parents, we grieve our children's inadequacies also. You know, why aren't they as successful? Why aren't they happy? Why do they have um, uh, depression? Why are they struggling to? be as bright as my friend's son or whatever. As elders, we are grieving the meaning of our lives, the lack of purpose, approaching death. All of these feelings, they're flowing through our consciousness as yeah. subterranean rivers, mostly unseen and unacknowledged. And of course, when we talk about death, we're talking about what I what I call shattering losses. You know, uh, you lose a loved one, you have a job loss, a war, and we we're surrounded by all of that all right. when, um, when the war when the war in ukraine broke out i had people in my grief circles who had no room had no immediate losses but they were a wreck and they kept saying it's the war that's affecting me that war is affecting you because you have not dealt with all of your grief
0: all right we're just going to go to a break for a moment and then we'll, we'll come back just in a minute okay
3: Don't cry, snowman, not in front of me Who'll get your tears if you can't get The North Pole and we'll happy. Please don't cry no tears now. It's Christmas baby. My snowman and me My snowman and me Baby
1: Recording in progress.
0: Okay, welcome back and we're talking to Susie Singh about um, how to cope uh, with those grief moments that we're exposed to. Um, Susie, so um, one of the things too that uh, I guess we hear from um, a lot of patients is how do we make our grief end sooner?
1: So this is a very important question and uh, I'm going to give you a fairly long winded answer to this one, so please be patient. Wanting to escape or end your grief is natural, because it is such a difficult and unpleasant experience. And what makes mourning even harder is the absence of any training in the management of grief. And therefore, we all feel lost and ill-equipped. We don't know what to do with this overwhelming experience that makes our vulnerabilities so public at times. We can even feel ashamed about the intensity of the feelings and we wonder, why the hell can't I get past this experience? Mm. And that's because nature doesn't want you to. It wants you to stay with the grief just a little bit longer so you can accept it as a normal part of the human experience. It wants you to pause and reflect upon the finite nature of physical existence. It asks you to feel and process the grief so that you can embrace it without resisting it. It wants you to understand that it's okay for you to feel this way It encourages you to take as long as you need to allow grief to ripen naturally so you can enjoy its harvest. None of this can happen by escaping or fast forwarding the process. Wanting to rush past your grief is like turning a blind eye to a highway accident victim who lies there bleeding and desperately needs you to stop and attend to them. What would you do in that situation? Would you attend to them? Or would you just drive past? And therefore, it's important for you to stop for your own internal Mm -hmm. grief Mm bleed. Nurse your woundedness. Be raw. Let yourself grieve not just the immediate loss, but many of the others that you have swept under the carpet. Feel that utter hopelessness in you. Stand in its face. Eat it. Digest it. And only then will you be softened by grief instead of being hardened and minimized by it. Death is indeed a shattering experience, but it is designed to awaken, inform, and enlighten you. It's sad that instead of using this experience for our advancement and spiritual evolution, we only let it traumatize and shrink us. Don't let that happen to you. Don't fast forward your grief.
0: You know, it's interesting that you say that because I think um, when grief does happen, it, it acts as a trigger to all the unresolved um, griefs that perhaps throughout your whole life you haven't addressed. Um, you know, so that one trigger can be that opportunity to address the whole lot that, that may have traumatised you throughout your whole life, even from a
2: child. And I find that really powerful Susie because I know before we went to the break you're talking about there's no real time limit to how long grief will take and you're talking there to not try and fast track it but life still happens doesn't it? and and for many people we still need to go to work we still need to function within society so is there any advice that you can give people that how, how do they manage their responsibilities while they're still going through a grieving process
1: So I suggest something uh, I've designed, which is called the ADAPT principle. The A stands for shifting your attention from why the loss occurred to how you must deal with it now. Unfortunately, so so much time is spent just lamenting and asking those why questions which actually don't have any answers. So ask yourself, how can I deal with this? This moves me into the adaptation stage. Mm. Do not dwell upon the why questions. Break the pattern of those why thoughts when they arise. Just nip it there. The D of the adapt stands for breaking things down into doable parts. So chunk large responsibility into small things. You know, Mm. Uh, there's a tendency when you're going through all of this experience that you can think about how am I ever going to get my life back together? Mm. And suddenly it seems like yes. there's so much to be done. And I'm saying, take it one day at a time. Yes. Just think about how do I get dinner on the table tonight? That's all. Break it down. A is ask for support where required. Again, there is a tendency to become reclusive, to want mm. to hide, to not want to ask people for anything. Also because just you just feel, what's the point of it all? I don't even want to live. I don't want to even go on with anything. But reaching out and asking people for support can really make you connect back with mm. other realities that are still present in your life. The person you may have depended on, that you may have loved on, especially if it's a parent or it's a partner, uh, can be so terrifying because I don't know how to live my life anymore. So asking for help connects you to your existing supports. The B is uh, the P in the ADAPT stands for being patient with yourself as you learn new skills. There may have been things that you depended upon the disease for, and this happens very frequently yeah. when it's a partner that you've lost. Mm. You know, it's like half your life has been sliced away. You mm. may not even know how to operate your bank account. So yeah. to sign checks, people have said that. Or you don't have the passwords and you, you're clueless about how to go on with life. So I'm saying develop one skill at a time. Just, Just try and do small things. And the T in the ADAPT is structuring time for both work and grief on demand through the day. So tell yourself, okay, I am going to go back to my work for just three hours. Start small. Don't try and head back after a month of bereavement into a full-time job. It won't be possible for you. So start by maybe, you know, getting back in flexi hours. And then slowly, as you work with grief and balance it with your work again, you can re-enter into a normalcy in your life.
2: Yeah, I'm not too, yeah that, that's, that is fantastic. I'm not too sure what to think <coughs> about this because I know from... Like, I did a deep dive into a lot of martial art, spirituality texts um, quite a few years ago. And one of the things they came through like in a warrior's journey is about not repressing feelings yeah. or repressing emotions, but refraining in the moment. And, and, I th- and for me, I know that resonates for me, like especially when I go back to work after having just experienced a loss, that it, it's probably not appropriate to start breaking down and crying while I'm at work, but being able to refrain that emotion to a, to a break and then taking time out to move myself out of that space into a, a private space so I can then allow that emotion to flow has worked really well for me. So what, what are your thoughts on, on that type of process?
1: Yeah, I think that that's a really valid point, because a lot of times people are scared that um, I don't want to get back to uh, life and people and going to public places too fast, mm. because yeah. uh, mm. I don't know when I'm going to have the meltdown. Mm. And I'm, my, my thought is, is similar to yours, which is allow everything to happen simultaneously it's okay to tear up and cry whenever that grief wave washes over you because, trust me, it is unpredictable. Yeah. It You'll be is, a perfectly yeah. normal day and something will just come over you and you will go like <clears> 180 <throat> degrees in the opposite direction. So if you happen to be outside when this happens, some uh, suggestions could be head for the nearest restroom if you want to have a really big cry and feel relieved.
0: Oh, or Susie wears sunglasses too. To <laughs> I'll wear sunglasses; absolutely. it really helps. Believe me.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, absolutely. Uh, If you can't get to the car and you can't get to a restroom, <laughs>
0: which is a private space,
1: yeah. then sunglasses and a mask. <laughs> you know, you have a perfectly valid excuse, and um, and uh, you can really cry as you want. And I just like to share this because I had a very similar experience uh, just last week. I was at a family wedding, and I went to meet um, this elderly aunt, I hugged her and before I knew it, I had tears streaming down my face. I had Aww. a wedding function, mind yeah. you, so this would be terribly embarrassing. Yeah. But I, I allowed myself to just let it
3: flow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um... All I said to those people was, you know what, meeting you has just brought back memories, such fond memories of my grandma who Aww. I still miss. Those were such wonderful Aww. days.
3: Yeah.
1: And they just nodded in agreement and they understood and, and they weren't offended or they didn't take it amiss and it was absolutely fine. So I'm saying somehow that that state of authentic headlining what's happening with you, which requires awareness in the moment, of course. Does, mm. yeah. But should you just say it, the others... Because it's such a human thing, they'll understand it and they will respect it.
2: That's so true. That's great advice. That's great advice. Uh, look, our hour is coming very rapidly to a close, Susie. So well, we just want to say thank you so much for, for the wisdom that you've shared. We've got a lot out of it tonight. and I'm not sure our audience has too. But... How, how can our audience connect with you? Because you do work with people all over Not like the world. world, globally, and so yeah. I think it's important that people know that just because you're in India doesn't mean so they can't connect with you and can't work with you and get, can't get part of your programs either. So how do people go about reaching out and touching base with you?
1: So the easiest way is to reach me on any of my social media platforms. Um, I am on Facebook as Susie Singh. I'm on Instagram. My handle is Susie Heels. My email ID is susiehealsme at gmail.com. I have a video channel by my name, Susie Singh, where uh, there are hundreds of videos on working through various difficult experiences of life. Please subscribe to it and make use of all of um, my sharing there. I hope it can help people. That's the intention for having created it. And I'm available for anyone because that's my purpose in life is to be able to help, support,
2: grow, evolve with all of you. Well, that's that's beautiful because you've just shared with people many ways to get in touch with you. But also, if they want to see more of your work, they can actually do a lot of that for free, can't they, on YouTube? Um, And so Mm -hmm. thank you so much for sharing that knowledge and that wisdom and making it available for everyone as well. So they can can touch base and see how you operate and then they can touch base with you further beyond that, can not they? And they can work with you personally as well.
1: Yes, and they can. They are welcome to join my grief circles. So the grief circles are completely free of charge. They are part of my um, saver work in the world. If you wish to join it, just uh, write to me on uh, me, and gmail.com and I will add you to the group. We are we are there. We have a WhatsApp group where a lot of grievers share. We are on a Facebook page, and we have live meetings every two weeks.
2: That is fantastic. Thanks so much for that.
0: Yes, my dearest friend, thank you so much. You always add so much value to this world and uh, shine brightly. Um, I'm sure you've helped a lot of people um, through this conversation. Thank you so much. Always appreciated.
1: Thank you very much. And if I do have uh, just a few minutes to say a few last words, I don't know, do I have the time to say that? Absolutely, you do. (laughs) You
0: always do, yes.
1: In all humility, I want to mention three things. The first is that grief is a fierce rite of passage, as most initiations usually are, and it helps us to grow by giving us the opportunity to address the paradox between the mortality of life and the immortality of our soul. So grief is important Mm. and it is useful for soul expansion. Don't shy away from it, my dear friends and Mm. listeners. Secondly, while the community has a powerful role to play in the alleviation of suffering as one wants, Grief is essentially a very personal and unique journey. No two people grieve in the same way, neither do they escape the grief in similar ways. It can bring up many reactive expressions in the griever that may appear unsocial and untamed, yet all the griever really needs is your understanding, patience, and unconditional support. So if you meet with someone who's grieving Mm. and they're a little rude or you feel offended by them, allow the compassion in your heart to come forth and say, you know what, they're going through something very difficult. Mm. And thirdly, if for some reason you are not able to offer these psychological gifts of safe space and understanding to them, I urge you, please get out of their way because (laughs) they already are dealing with so much in their lives. Let them be, allow them to heal. Let them be resurrected from their suffering. That's
2: beautiful. That is some beautiful wise words and probably a lovely place to bring this to a close. Mm.
0: You're listening to 87.6 FM, The Wellness Couch, with Brett and Katarina Morrison, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.